So uh, I hope that everyone has been getting into the December swing of things, right? The festive season is upon us. Christmas is three and a half days away. Uh, holiday time is here. Who's going on leave starting this week sometime? Raise your hands. Couple, one or two. Who's got kids? So holiday is sort of an extended advanced daycare program for you, parents. Um, who's not sure what leave is and is going to work straight through the whole month of December? Like, a, I see those hands, friends. I see your hands. I see your hands. Uh, but speaking of the December swing of things, we begin a brand new series today, church, called Advent. Uh, Advent. It's the second time, in fact, that I'll be preaching uh, on this topic or theme of Advent. And it's something that I'm growing to uh, enjoy more and more and look forward to more and more uh, each year. And for those that are new to Father's House or new to church in general and are wondering what on earth Advent is, uh, who knows those little December calendars that you buy from the shop this time of year that have got the little chocolate behind each of the doors? You guys know what I'm talking about? And every day you wake up and you get all excited, you run to the kitchen and you open the window of that day and you eat the chocolate. Um, who, like me, starts off great, but then by day four you've eaten the whole month? Anyone want to admit December body for who? Summer body for what? Here summer January is an orc. Advent's most lacquer. Um, that, of course, is not the entire picture of what Advent is. Advent, from a biblical perspective, is a time of year that leads up to and anticipates the birth of Jesus. That's obviously what we're going to be celebrating on Christmas Day, of course. And the way that the church does this is we read specific passages of Scripture and we preach on specific themes each Sunday uh, as it leads up to the arrival which is what the word Advent means. It means arrival or the coming of an awaited event. Uh, or, of course, in the Christian uh, definition, the, the, the coming of the Savior, right? This happens on Christmas. And Advent is something that's celebrated by churches across the world. And it's been done so for centuries. Uh, that, that churches all over really join in this wonderful time of the end. As I mentioned just now, I've really enjoyed understanding this this really precious time of the year more and more. Um, and I've discovered a newfound appreciation in my heart for two things. One, the beauty of unity in the body of Christ. I think that's so special that churches all over the world are united around this theme during this time of year. Uh, and number two, how intentional and perfect God is in his plans and thoughts towards us. You know, when you do a study of Advent and all the events leading up to Christmas, you realize God is in the detail, man, he is so intentional and so perfect uh, in his thoughts. And, you know, the more you dig into the message of Advent, being hope, peace, joy, and love, those are the four themes, by the way, the more you realize how amazing God is and how remarkable the steps were that he took to, to, to bring us this redemption story that is in Christ Jesus. And I love getting to celebrate that together as a church. So we'll cover each of those specific themes uh, based on the Advent calendar each week. Uh, over the next three weeks, and then we'll culminate the series, obviously, on Christmas Day, when we celebrate the arrival of this awaited Messiah that the world is uh, so, so looking forward to. So today, which is week one of Advent, the key theme that we'll be sharing on is hope. Hope, that's the, that's the key theme of week one of Advent. And my hope, my goal in sharing a message with you on hope this morning is the following, that you will find in and through Scripture and looking at the person of Jesus, your hope reservoirs filled with new levels of hope this season. That'll be my goal. That in the sharing of Scripture, in the, look, in, in the looking at the person of Jesus, you will feel, you'll find your hope reservoirs filled up with new levels of hope this season. Whether you're feeling hopeless right now or hopeful right now, my hope is that you will experience this topping up 
as it pours into the deep places of your soul as we consider this wonderful time of year. Can you say amen to that this morning, church? I really believe that by the reading of and understanding of God's word and, and, and seeing the person of Jesus this Christmas season uh, and, and his divine plan of, of, of redemption for humanity, we'll experience this, this overflow of hope that we were singing about just now, actually. I love it how that always happens, by the way. I didn't know what the song list was, Sherwin, and then I see a lot of the lyrics in the songs reference hope. I love it, I love it how God works. So um, should we go to our key passage this morning? Key theme of hope, first Sunday of Advent, uh, and churches all over the world today will be reading this scripture together. It's from the prophet Isaiah, and this is what he wrote in anticipation of the arrival of Jesus some 700 years before it happened. So what he says, look how amazing these words are. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. How awesome is that? On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Just pause there for a moment. What's that a reference to? It's sin, right? The people walking in darkness, that's what sin is. It keeps you hidden. It keeps things dark. But, but now, through Christ, we have seen a great light. We know that Jesus is the light of the world. On those living in the land of deep darkness, without hope, we have seen a great light that has dawned in our hearts. I think that's such a beautiful scripture. Verse six, I'm sure most of us can probably quote this, right? For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Come on, say it with me. Church, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. His reign will be on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. What an amazing passage, prophesying, obviously, about the birth of Jesus. Uh, and this is, interestingly enough, one of the 300-plus prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. And people often ask, you know, what is it that Jesus came to fulfill? Well, this is one of 300 of them. There's some merit in that, right? Um, and for us this week, in week one of Advent, we'll be focusing on how this season uh, fills us with the anticipation of hope. Um, and you know, if you think about the concept of hope, hope, hope really is, you know, and this is, <laughs> There's a reason why it's known as one of the most necessary commodities of the human existence in order for it to function well. And Martin Luther famously said in one of his most well-known quotes, we must accept finite disappointment but never lose infinite hope. There's a reason why hope is, is one of these key components that makes us who we are as people. It's one of the essential motivators in life that keep us going, right? Without it, without hope, we get stuck in places where we can't seem to find the motivation and strength to move forward. Have you ever spoken to someone or met someone or seen someone in the mirror um, that doesn't seem to have any hope left in them at all? Guys, have you ever met someone like that? It's hard for that person, you know, to find strength, to muster up a positive word about anything. They feel stuck in this place. You know, you say, hey, how beautiful was the weather yesterday? Oh, someone probably got sunburned somewhere, you know. And I see some sunburned victims sitting in the front row here. You know, you say, how great is it that the South African teams won rugby this past weekend? Oh, the ref was terrible. You know? Or aren't you excited about the December holidays? Not at all. I hate Christmas. Worst time of the year. You know? There's this, this, there's this measure of hopelessness that's connected to so many other emotions. Being hopeless really is a tough place to be. And, you know, while there's no doubt situations and seasons, of course, that we go through in life where we are understandably exposed to this and confronted by the sense of hopelessness, it's not God's design for us to stay there forever. That's not God's plan. 
and in fact, I shared this in a in a in a series that we did not so long ago called Faith, Hope, and Love, where we said that if you use the analogy of a bicycle to describe our spiritual journeys, hope hope would be the pedals and the chain, right? Who remembers that cheesy analogy? Um, hope would be the pedals and the chain that helps generate the momentum needed to to keep the bike of our spiritual journeys moving forward, right? People who have lost hope, they tend to find themselves stuck in this place of discouragement and depression even. In fact, Proverbs 13, 12, if you want to get real for a second, it says this. It said, hope delayed makes the heart sick, or hope deferred makes the heart sick. But desire fulfilled is a tree of life. You know, there's a sickness almost that comes with a sense of hopelessness. And I've been in that place before myself, you know, where you tend to lose your awareness of hope because you've allowed the feeling of hopelessness to override your decision-making. And this morning, church, I want to embrace the truth and, in fact, be reminded about it often during this Advent time of year, that it is God's design for us to live in hope. It's His design. And it is entirely possible. It's entirely possible through the message of Christ on earth and Christ in our hearts for us to live in that way. I want us to have a renewed awareness of the, of, the, of the truth of verses like Colossians 1, 27. Let's say this. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles, those who weren't Jews, the glorious wealth of this mystery. What's the mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. I want us to have a renewed awareness of that truth this season. And just pause there for a moment. Isn't that the amazing good news of the Christian faith, the gospel? You might have lost the awareness of hope that you have, but you haven't lost hope entirely because Jesus is never lost. Amen. We've just allowed the feeling of hopelessness to override the reality of the hope that we have. I just wanted to encourage someone with that this morning. Our hope is never lost because Jesus is alive and he's not lost at all. He's in you. He's the hope of glory. Amen. So hope is one of those things that's so central to the human existence, but also to Christianity. And so that's what we're going to be celebrating. And so I want to I want to start our conversation off this morning by coming off that prophecy from Isaiah and make three key characteristic statements on what biblical hope is. Because I think it's important, right, that we define hope from a biblical perspective, make that distinction between what we might normally say when we say, oh, I hope for this, or what the Bible says when it says hope in God. So that, and that our goal is going to be, as I said just now, that our hope reservoirs are going to be filled for this season ahead. So, couple of key characteristics. Are you guys with me? Um, is this making sense, church? Number one, hope is not merely optimism based on the odds. It's a choice based on a person. Hope is not merely optimism based on the odds. It is a choice based on a person. I feel like this might be one of the most important characteristics to understand as we begin to differentiate and unpack this definition of biblical hope versus worldly hope, I guess you could call it. And here's what I mean by, by, by saying that biblical hope is not merely optimism just based on the odds, but a choice based on a person. Let's, let's use something that we can all relate to as South Africans. Load shedding. No, I'm joking. Uh, stage six, it's been a frustration of mine recently. It's clearly showing up. Please forgive me. We must pray hard and we must vote hard next year. <laughs> Don't forget the other. But something else we can all relate to as Africans is sport, of course, right? Who loves sport? Oh, everyone. If you, who's gonna, not going to put their hand up no matter what I say this morning from beginning to end? Um, but in sports, our favorite team, obviously, that's the one that we root for and cheer on and that we have hope will do well whenever they play, right? Uh, we are optimistic 
about our favorite team, the Springboks, of course, when it comes to rugby. Uh, I mean, come on, guys, three points, three games, right? I'm still reliving the stress uh, of those moments. You know, each time Pollard stepped up, you could cut that tension with a knife, you know? Some people were screaming at the TV, unable to even watch, dogs being kicked out outside, you know, it's just, it was chaos. But do you remember that little graph that would appear on the screen just before he stepped up to take that kick? Who remembers that, that, that little graph? It came on the left-hand side of the screen. And it, it had like this little arrow that showed you the, the angle of the kick, right? It had the, the, the meters, and then it had the likelihood or the probability of him getting it over. Do you guys remember that? And we would look at those little graphs and we'd go, oh, 45% odds, you know, 45% chance that he kicks us over. And that would affect our optimism, right? It would affect, yeah, how, how much um, Coca-Cola we drank on the, on the nights in those moments. Um, you know, the shot of water that we had when we saw that graph. Uh, you know, we had optimism based on the odds. And obviously he hadn't missed a kick the whole World Cup. So for us, you know, watching Pollard, we had a kind of a unique sense of optimism. But biblical hope, however, is something a little bit different to that. You see, when you're a Christian, you go into the game already knowing what the final outcome will be. You've already seen this game between life and death, heaven and hell play out, and you know who won that match. Can you say amen? So because the result of our salvation is not up to how you and I, the players on the fields, perform on that day and the odds of us winning, we make a choice to place our hope based on the person, Jesus, and his performance, and the fact that he has already won the ultimate victory on our behalf. Amen? Biblical hope is not just optimism based on the odds. It's a choice based on a person called Christ and what he has done. First Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 13. Look at, the, look at the certainty of the language here in this verse. He says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, even when you watch the World Cup, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Could you do something cheesy for me and just repeat the words, will be, will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Hope for us as believers, friends, isn't just wishful thinking. It's not just wishful thinking, hoping and crossing your fingers that something's going to come to pass. It's not merely optimism based on the odds. It's a choice to wait upon God to bring about a future that's better than anything we could have ever imagined. Amen? So secondly, secondly, this brings us to our second key characteristic of what biblical hope is. Hope is driven more is driven by more than mathematical logic. It's driven by moral will. Now, all of the students that are here this morning are going, please don't say anything about maths. I've just written maths. I don't want to talk about maths. Jesus, help my marks. That's all I want to hear about maths. But I'm going to use a picture of marriage uh, as an example to explain this point, that, that biblical hope is driven by more than just mathematical logic, but by moral will. So, um, Part of my role as a pastor at Father's House is that I get to officiate weddings for couples. Uh, and I was actually looking yesterday, over the last seven years of being employed full-time at the church, I've officiated around 75 weddings so far, and counting. You know, we, if you want to get married at Father's House, you need to book like six months in advance, because I see there's already like 10 scheduled for next year sometime. But uh, it really is a privilege, and you know, it's always uh, like amazing to stand there and you know, see the couple 
cry, see the groom, you know, get all emotional and the groomsman with the thing of Vicks just to rub on his eyes in case he doesn't cry enough, you know. The bride looking all pretty in her dress and, you know, you share the little message and the vows and everything. Um, but in not one of those 75 weddings that I've officiated so far, did I ever hear a couple say vows that went like this. I, I'll use my name as an example, Lloyd Dillon, hope that we don't get divorced. Although the mathematical probability is one out of three in the first seven years, I promise to love you and cherish you. Amen. Not once have I ever heard someone say that. And thankfully, I mean, that would be a very depressing set of vows to say to your spouse on the wedding day, right? So imagine, the, imagine your wife's face. She'd be like, what on earth are you talking about? I hope that we don't get divorced. You know? Now, although the mathematical numbers might be true, right? Or, or, although those might be the stats, you would rather have a strong moral certainty that you will stay married to your spouse for as long as you both shall live, Right? After nearly 10 years of me being married to my wife, Kelly, I have a strong conviction that we're going to stay married for as long as we both shall live. Not because of some mathematical formula, but because of the strong conviction, my will that I have, that we're going to honor our commitments that we made to God before one another, right? So when we, when we speak about hope, we don't speak about it in the normal sense of the word, like, I hope I don't get divorced. We speak about it in terms of confidence and security because of the character of our wills, that we want to make this thing work no matter how hard it is, right? Park that thought for a moment. Let's look at it from the other side. Let's take South Africa. We're using our own country as an example this morning. If you're listening to Spotify or SoundCloud, just uh, you can insert your own country's name there. But let's take South African politics for a moment. We could say that by next year's election, there will not be a single corrupt politician working in the government. I like that, amen. No amen for first Peter, but amen for corrupt politicians. We could say that there will not be one rand spent in local government on anything illegal by the end of next year's election. Another amen. We could say similarly, as a statement of hope, that there will be not a single person addicted to drugs in Jeffreys Bay. We could also say, get hectic for a second, not one person will be addicted to pornography in South Africa by the end of next year because everyone would be able to control their lustful desires. Heavy statement, I know, but do you understand the point that I'm trying to make? While we can make those points, all of those things could be mathematical probabilities, right? Entirely possible. But why then, when we speak of them in terms of hope, do we not assume that there will be a guarantee that that thing will happen? Why do we, why do we say that? Well, because we all know something about the human will, don't we? We know that the human will is flawed. It's corrupted. It's weak. It's not reliable enough. It's not a reliable enough mechanism that we can base this future outcome on that we are hoping for. As much as we'd like that to happen, as much as there's a mathematical chance of it happening, we know that it's probably not likely right now, as much as we pray for it, and we should pray for it. You see where I'm going with this? Because human will was not enough to guarantee an expected outcome in the future, the most important one being the salvation of our souls, how good is the good news of the gospel that our hope is placed in Christ, who is morally perfect and who had the perfect will of the Father displayed in him? Our hope as Christians is not based on a mathematical formula. It's based on his moral will. Can you say amen to that? 
We are secure because Christ is perfect. That's why we place our hope in the future. That's why we place our hope in what He says about us. That's why we can wake up tomorrow and go, Lord, I'm gonna pursue you no matter what the situation is that is surrounding me right now. Amen. This is, um, this is a scripture from the book of Hebrews. If you uh, wanna know what the summary of Hebrews is, the summary theme, it's a better covenant. You'll hear the word better. I think it's 12 or 14 times mentioned in the book of Hebrews. And he's, the, the, the writer is showing us how much better Christ is than the other way, than the other covenant. He says this in Hebrews 6, verses 13 to 20. It's a, it's a chunk of scripture. Are we okay to go through to a chunk of scripture quickly? And then we'll, we'll, we'll get to my final point and we'll, and we'll close. Hebrews 6, he says, Now when God made his promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. You guys, know what, you, know, you guys know what he's saying there? I swear on the name of someone higher than me, greater than me, that this thing will happen. God's like, well, I am God, so I swear by my own name, right? Saying, surely I will bless you greatly and multiply your descendants abundantly. And so by persevering, Abraham inherited the promise. He persevered at what God said. Um, for people swear by something greater than themselves. There it is. And the oath, the oath that they make, serves as a confirmation to end all dispute. It's like, if I swear on this president's name and use that as my oath, it's going to end all disputes because this guy is the highest ranking official, right? So God's saying, I swear by me, by my own word. In the same way, God wanted to demonstrate more clearly to the heirs of the promise, that's you and me, that his purpose was unchangeable. And so he intervened with an oath. Oh man. So that we who have found refuge in him may find strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us through two unchangeable things, since it is impossible for God to lie. And here's the powerful verse that I'm sure most of us have quoted at some point. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Isn't that beautiful? Sure and steadfast, which reaches inside behind the curtain where Jesus, our forerunner, entered on our behalf since he became a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Biblical hope, church, is not based on mathematical logic alone. It's based on God's perfect moral will towards us revealed in Christ Jesus. Amen. And then finally, speaking about our future, this is my final key characteristic on what biblical hope looks like so that our hope reservoirs will be filled. Hope is not an uncertain desire for something good to happen in the future. It's a certain expectation and a desire for something good to happen in the future. It's not an uncertain desire for something good. It's a certain expectation and a desire for something good to happen. It's another very, very important distinction, isn't it? This distinction between uncertainty and certainty when it comes to what we are hoping for, what we are believing for in the future when it comes to our lives and trusting God for things to happen. Um, and I've been using little um, analogies for these three points. So is it okay if I make another one on this, on this point? Has it been helpful? If it hasn't, it's helped me. So I'm at least okay. No. Um, here's, how, here's how I understand this, this, this biblical concept of hope being different and something that we can celebrate in terms of certainty as opposed to uncertainty. Uh, as you may know, you, you might, have, might have seen them this morning, but my wife Kelly and I have a son, Benji. Uh, he's almost two years old now. It feels crazy to say that, how fast the time has gone. Slow days, fast years. That statement is very true. Slow days because you haven't slept, but fast years because of how quickly they add up. Um, and re he really is. He's shining brighter and brighter uh, each day with his personality and He's also getting more and more, more, and more demanding uh, 
every day. You know, he needs to get his way. It's like rice cake and then rice cake on the table and then you put the rice cake on the table and then he cries. But you want the rice cake on the table but you took it off your plate. So now how can I assist you, Benjamin, in this season of your life? You know, it's just crying because the rice cake's here and so I'll break it in half and put one piece here and one piece here. It's wild, but it's a journey. Um, but imagine Benji was seven years old. Suppose he's seven years old and he says to his mom one day, he says, mommy, I hope dad gets home early tonight so we can play some soccer in the garden. I hope dad gets home early so we can play some soccer in the garden. He loves playing soccer and destroying all of mom's plants in the process. Now, when Benji uses that term hope, he's expressing a desire, right, for something good to happen in the future. Namely, that him and dad will play soccer in the garden and destroy mom's plants. But while, while that's a desire that he's expressing, it's not certain, is it? He's simply saying, I hope dad gets home early. What if dad has a late meeting tonight? What if there's load shedding traffic or a pothole? Well, there are many. Um, and dad can't get home because his tires burst, because we must pray hard and vote hard. Um, this, this desire may or may not happen, right? That's, that's the truth of what we talk about when we say that I hope this thing will happen. But when the Bible talks about hope, it differs on this fundamental idea that when Scripture says things like hope in God, Psalm 42 verse 5, it carries with it absolute certainty that this good thing we're hoping for in the future will come to pass. That's the difference. Biblical hope is a certain expectation of and a desire for something good to happen in the future. Can you say amen to that? When we say we hope for the future in God, we have absolute confidence, absolute confidence that in Christ it will happen. God has never failed on one of his promises and he never will. And I'm so thankful for that. Let's, let's look at Philippians 1, church, quickly before we, before we close. Look at, the, look at the power of these words. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. This is Paul writing to the church while he's in jail. Talk about having a hopeful outcome, right? Outlook on life. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it onto completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Beautiful. The certainty that he who started a good work in you, he will bring it to completion. There will be a final chapter. There will be a story of redemption from, for, for all those that have placed their hope, their faith, their trust in the person of Christ Jesus. Hebrews 10, the last verse on this point, church, and then I'll wrap up for us. It says this, Let's, let us hold onto the confession of our hope. Hold on to it. Don't waver since he who promised is faithful. God has always been faithful and he's not gonna change now. Amen. When it comes to biblical hope, church, we know that when we, that when we speak of things that we hope for in Christ, we have absolute certainty. We have a confident expectation that they will come to pass because the one who promised is faithful. He's faithful. And I know there's many people in this room that can testify to God's faithfulness. In fact, we just shared the True Story series where we heard some amazing stories of how God came through in the most miraculous ways. And that's a reflection of his character. God is always faithful. And so our hope can be based on certainty that he who promised, that what he said he promised will happen. Um, I started out this morning, church, by saying that my goal would be for us to, to, to find our hope reservoirs 
filled up, the deep places of our souls filled up with hope for this festive season, that we would experience complete hope in Christ as part of our design for life, right? Because here's the thing when it comes to the Advent series and this message of hope, you know, we are actually in between two Advents, aren't we? We're between two Advents. We're between the first Advent when Christ was born 2,000 years ago and the second Advent when Christ will come again for the second time to redeem the whole creation. We're sitting between those two at the moment and we're closer to the one than we were when you first arrived at church this morning, right? The first anticipated arrival and the second anticipated arrival of Christ. And so I guess the big question is, after having received our hope in Christ, the first Advent, Christmas Day, which we're going to celebrate now, how do we keep our hope alive while waiting for the second Advent, the return of Christ? The space in between, so to speak. Well, I wanted to end by saying the following on that point. If you've ever found yourself in a hopeless situation of some kind because of something that happened in the past, or if you've ever been in a season like I have where it felt like you had no hope of something happening in the present, or if you simply couldn't look up to see the hope of something good to happen in the future, I want to end with a final encouragement from Romans chapter 5. And from it, I want to to show you how we can walk in hope for the past, hope for the present, and hope for the future in Christ. We can have complete hope because of who he is. Look at at Romans chapter 5, church, as as we close this morning. This again is Paul's letter to the church. And just take note for a second at the powerful words that he's mentioning here. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, that's salvation. That's what happened when you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you made him king of your life. Your soul was redeemed. You were justified. You were made right with God. And if that was the greatest challenge that we face, then any and and all other situations can also find their redemption and can be made right in and through the person of Jesus. Amen. You failed? You feel like you failed in your marriage with your spouse and your kids? Hope in God for that to be restored. You made some mistakes in business? Feel like you can't carry on? Feel like you can't come back in some way? Hope in God that He can redeem and restore any loss any bad mistake, any bad decision that you've made. You think that because you haven't found someone for years, that there's no hope left for anyone else in the future? Hope in God that he can and does bring about divine connections, just like he brought about the divine connection between you and him in the person of Jesus that we've just read about in this verse. We have hope for the past, friends. That is God's faithfulness. We have hope for the past. That is God's faithfulness. Verse 2 we, we have also obtained access through faith, uh, sorry, through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. Can you say into this grace with me? Into this grace in which we stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. You're in a situation right now where you can't seem to see the wood from the trees. You're in the grace of God and his grace is sufficient for you. Friend, do you think there's nothing you can do to overcome the odds that are against you? Boast in the hope of the glory of God. That even if you don't see it now, you will see it when he returns. God's word will never return to him void. Amen. 
Whatever situation you are in right now, your hope is alive because Jesus is alive. And he's given you access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We have hope for the present. That's God's provision. We have hope for the present. That's God's provision. And then finally, not only that, Paul goes on to say, but we also boast in our afflictions because we know that our affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. There it is. The present sufferings that we might be enduring right now, friends, are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us through Christ. That's Romans 8. This hope will not disappoint us, verse 5, because God's love, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Friends, we can have hope and do have hope for the future because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. We can have hope for the future. That's God's power. Can you say amen to that this morning, church? I hope that encourages we consider how we can and should, by design, live with overflow of hope this festive season. We can have hope for the past because of God's faithfulness. We can have hope for the present. That's God's provision. And we can have hope for the future. That's God's power. Amen. Could you stand with me as we pray this morning, church, and close our service? And Sherry, if you could join me up there as well. Thanks, Matt. Definitely feels like it's getting warmer this time of year. Getting ready for the beach with my advent calendar body. If I ever go deep sea fishing and fall off the boat, they won't have to worry. I'll just float. I'll just float up with this tube that I've got around me at the moment. But um, church, I wanted to just end with a prayer um, for us as we consider the message of hope that this season uh, represents, that we celebrate. And as we've mentioned, you know, over the, over the next couple of weeks, we're going we're gonna to dig into it. Look at the messages that Advent shows us, the messages of hope and love, peace and joy. And uh, this morning, I want to just take a moment and pray for us uh, specifically into the area of hope that even if you're feeling hopeless or if you're feeling hopeful, you can share that hope with someone. And that has hopefully just refined a little bit of what biblical hope looks like, that we have access to it. <laughs> we have access and hope is never lost because Jesus is never lost. So Father, we thank you so much for the power of your word. Father, we thank you that you have revealed to us in the birth of your son, Jesus, ultimate hope. Hope for the past because of your faithfulness. Hope that we can have for the present because of your provision. And Father, hope that we can have for the future because of your power. Father, we thank you that this hope that we have is not dependent on our ability to perform, but it's based on Christ's finished work on the cross. And Father, we pray for a refilling of hope in our souls this festive season. Father, help us in our hearts and in our minds to focus on the biblical truth, to know that these words are true, that Christ is in us and He is the hope of glory. We needn't be ashamed. We needn't be afraid. We needn't be anxious or depressed or worried. We can step forward with bold confidence because of this hope that we have as an anchor for the soul. And Father, we indeed pray for every heart in this city and every heart indeed in this nation to, to find that anchor this December. Father, would one new person even just turn to you and receive this hope, this living hope, this hope for eternity that is in you and in you alone. And we just honor you so much, Father, for the power of your spirit and the blessing of community. And may we continue to be that light for ourselves and for others. 
this festive season. And we pray all of these things in the holy and perfect name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Church, would you give God one last shout of praise in Thanksgiving this morning? And really was such an honor spending the morning with you. Uh, As always, there's communion available to my right there at the communion counter. There's a My Story wall, which you can write your anonymous testimony of how God and how grace has changed your life. Otherwise, there's wonderful coffee and connection. Hello cards at the info counter if you'd like to get in touch with us. Otherwise, enjoy the rest of your week and we'll see you again next week Sunday for church. God bless everyone. Thank you.